Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Talk to your lawyer, Sam? Yeah, finally got through. So what do you say? Well, he before the dime, he said by statute and precedence, this would be considered a tort. And there is therefore substantial grounds for cause of action. <laughs> How'd you know that? <laughs> I picked it up in pre-law. I thought you were an English major. Well, that was after art and before psychology. <laughs> Is there anything you weren't in college? Blonde. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me for episode three is our first returning guest, Omar Yudin. Omar, you have appeared on more episodes of Cheerscast than any other guest. How does that feel? I am on a streak, and I intend to blow it at the earliest opportunity. <laughs> that is good to hear. That's good. That sets us up for uh, good possibilities. Um, well, as I said, this is Cheerscast Episode 3, and we are covering the third episode of the show, which is called The Tortelli Tort. The episode was written by Tom Reeder, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, October fourteenth, 1982. After a disappointing Red Sox loss, a brash and boisterous Yankees fan named Big Eddie comes to cheers and immediately antagonizes the staff and patrons. Carla restrains her hostility, well, by Carla's standards, until Eddie mocks Sam's alcoholism, costing him his pitching career. Then she lashes out and violently assaults Eddie in front of the bar. Eddie threatens to sue Sam unless he fires Carla. With little in the way of defense, Sam considers letting her go until Diane comes up with the idea of sending Carla to her therapist friend who specializes in anger management issues. A few weeks later, Sam invites Big Eddie back to Cheers to see that Carla has a check on her anger and won't lash out when jackass customers take shots at her favorite teams or herself. Once Eddie agrees to drop the lawsuit, and once he's escorted out of the bar by a Boston Bruin who took offense to some of his comments the gang realizes that the Carla they know, the angry, sometimes violent Carla, really hasn't gone far away after all. And that was it. That was the third episode, the Tortelli Tort. Uh, Omar, as a lawyer, how, did, did anything on this episode sort of ping your radar or, sin or, or make you think, mm, that doesn't exactly work? No. Um, to be honest, I don't think they, they introduced anything wildly implausible. Um, you know, the notion of a business play, a place of business and uh, an employer 
and an owner of a business like Sam being held vicariously liable for you know the, the misdeeds of an employee and or an injury that happened on the premises is perfectly in keeping with you know our grand American common law tradition. <laughs> um, and, and you know I, I suspected when you had gotten in touch with me previously about uh, possibly guesting on this episode, I, I suspected that you were dragging me in for my my legal knowledge. So I uh, I did us all the favor of, of uh, blowing the uh, dust off my uh, my first year torts casebook, uh, and I and 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 I, I read up on this. And you know, needless to say, it's it's they, they kept it pretty you know within the boundaries of of what's what's normal. There was nothing outlandish, you know. And, and the, the sad truth is that you know if something played out. Uh, in the manner of, of, of this episode, if an employee like Carla assaulted a, a patron like Eddie, um, these are the issues that would automatically bounce up. Um, you know, you say, which is interesting because you see uh, quite often in television and film wild artistic liberties being taken, um, particularly with, you know, legal issues that come up. But this one, I think well, they, they played it pretty close to the vest. Uh, Sam would have been in a deep, deep crock if uh, Eddie had actually uh, uh, followed through on his threat to sue. So there was very little about the, 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 the legal issues raised that uh, struck me as, as off-tone. I mean, there was one minor thing, and this is truly picking nits. Um, when Eddie came back to, to talk with Sam and Carla was there, um, and Eddie was, was telling Sam that, hey, my lawyer made my conditions very clear, the only thing that rang false was, well, if Eddie had actually taken the step of retaining an attorney, he would have been barred from having any contact with Sam uh, as they were on the path to litigation. You know, because once, once you have retained a lawyer, um, your lawyer speaks for you. But other than that, I, I thought they were surprisingly, they, they, they played it pretty fair. Uh, it was pretty accurate. Different states have different rules, but a, a, a common law principle that is, is, fair, is fairly routine is... If something happens in a place of business, if an employee goes off the reservation and assaults someone, if someone sustains an injury in a place of business, yeah, an owner of the business, an employer of the business is going to be held vicariously liable for the actions of the employee. So, yeah, I, I think that they actually did a remarkable job staying pretty true to, to what happens. Well, first of all, I reached out to you because you're my friend and I love you. The fact, right. that, the fact that you're a lawyer. Yeah, the law degree had nothing to do with it. <laughs> that, that was a bonus. That was a bonus. Okay, so that that's all good to know. Like just looking at the the way Carla assaults him, she jumps on his back and bangs his head against the bar repeatedly. I would have thought like that would be grounds for like a criminal assault charge. But yeah, no. I mean, listen, I, I think that it would be. I, I, I assume that they were approaching this from the standpoint of a civil lawsuit, only because Eddie does not really seem on the up and up. Eddie seems like kind of a scumbag. And so I don't think he sustained the kind of injuries that would give rise to, you know, an immediate, you know, immediately going to to the police. I think Eddie is someone who gets satisfaction out of going after someone's wallet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that's this, from that standpoint, it makes perfect sense. But, yes, he Carla could have been potentially criminally, criminally liable for assault and battery. There's no question about that. But I think we all know where Eddie's coming from and what his, you know, what his ultimate gains are. He's not of the many things you can say about that character. He's not very subtle. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, and you're right. He he is a sleazebag. I mean, the fact like there are very few times when I, with this show when I have to say, um, hang on. But the fact that when he's talking to Coach and he says back in the real city, referring to New York, he's like, they call me Big Eddie. It's like, 
what kind of a jackass like announces himself like this is my nickname this is what other people call me and everything yeah oh my god pretty pretty, uh he, he seems to conform to quite a bit of stereotypes. I don't think there was a lot of, like, shading, a subtle shading going on or nuance when they drew him up. But I will say that, like, if that was the direction they were going to go, then Burroughs and the other people cast the guy perfectly. Because, like, he has, you know, in, as we would say, he has an extremely punchable face. <laughs> um, he didn't hold anything back. Um, you know, I, I might take some... I might I might have some disagreements with you know how how overly outlandish the guy was, but if you're going to go in that direction, I cannot think of a better actor to have cast. Yeah, and the actor in question that plays Big Eddie is Ron Carabazos. Um, he's been in a ton of TV shows. Yeah, he seemed vaguely he seemed vaguely familiar. He was in the movie Flashdance. Actually, the one the one role that pinged on me, and I don't even know if we see his well, actually we would see his face very briefly. He played Momo in the movie Get Shorty, which I think his only real role is he walks up a flight of stairs and has a heart attack. I don't think he has any dialogue in that. Whoa, okay. Yeah. He seems uniquely well suited to a role like that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing playing an old gangster or mob boss or something like that. Um yeah. but yeah, you're right. Like he's he is definitely dialed up. His his performance is way up there pretty much kind of in line, I think, with the level that Carla is at in the first episode. Um, well, I mean, you know, on that note, one of the things that, that occurred to me, you're right, because I think that was, a, that was a common theme we all discussed in the first episode, the fact that a lot of the other characters, we knew who they were from the get-go. Carla was the one where it seemed there was a bit of distance between who she ended up being and who she initially was. But what I would say, Ryan, is that I still don't think they have her quite right in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, the first, I would say the first five or ten minutes, she's still, like, extremely high-pitched and energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the Carla we've come to know and love is the master of the wisecracks and the master of cynicism. I still think this Carla is dialed up to, like, eight, nine, or ten yeah. when there's there's some room for subtlety. And I, I, I do think that... It takes again. It's not. It's not a huge, huge discrepancy, but it's enough of a discrepancy. It was enough of a discrepancy for me to notice. It's funny. I still think they're trying to get Carla right. I still think she's a little too hyper in this one. What, what were your thoughts on that? Pretty much the exact same thing. Um, and this, I, I like. I, I compare this Carla to you know after she marries Eddie Lebeck, maybe even after she's she's widowed. Spoilers for seven seasons down the line. Uh, like like that one, you're right. Like she would go up to you know the tables and just kind of like throw the pretzels down or whatever, and she would have a comment that was delivered just very sort of dryly. Like she wouldn't be shouting, she wouldn't be standing up at the bar shouting at the TV and everything like that. This is still, yeah. She, there, there's just like so much energy. This this is a Carla who dare I say, still has a kind of hope and optimism in her life. Yes. As angry as she is. And the Carla that we know doesn't have any hope. And I think that's just, maybe maybe we'll notice the more children she has throughout the series. No, I think that's true. Or maybe just in her further encounters with Diane and the fact that she just slowly (laughs) realizes that Diane is their mortal enemy is not going anywhere. And, you know, we might have said this in the pilot, in reviewing the pilot, but, but... Again, it's less of a criticism of Carla and the way Carla is written, at least in my mind. It's less of a criticism of that than it is a statement on how remarkable Cheer and remarkably fully formed the other characters in Cheers were from the get-go. Because if you compare Carla's sort of you know uh, metamorphosis, if that's what we're calling it, to most other major characters and most other TV shows from their inception, it's probably normal, right? Like mm-hmm. you figure things out. I think because what makes it exceptional in this case 
is because so, everyone else is so well fully formed. By episode three, we know exactly who Diane is. We know exactly who Sam and Norm and Coach are. That, you know, it's just, it, it's a little bit of an outlier and it, it, it makes you notice it. But it's not to their detriment. They figure it out and it just, it just speaks to the high quality um, of the show in general and how they knew who these characters were from the inside out from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of finding out more information about Carla, uh, this is the first of several mentions that we will get of her alma mater, St. Cletus's Home for Wayward Girls. Yes. Uh, I think they just I think she just calls it St. Cletus Home for Girls in this one, but later on the the full title will be St. Cletus's Home for Wayward Girls. Um yeah, she has these violent outbursts, but she does feel confident that Sam won't fire her. You know, she believes in in their friendship like that. Well, she laughed, right? I mean, yeah. didn't she yeah. laugh when like they, the the the, uh, the idea was broached about like him kicking her out? Mhm. Yeah, yeah, she she scoffs at it. Like it seems like a preposterous fantasy to her, which maybe again, like kind of not quite having her character, just feels a little bit naive. Like she doesn't realize the actual danger that she is in. Um, and but maybe that's also because, and this was something that we did point out how how loving and protective she is of Sam. You know, like she bashes she when as soon as Eddie walks in the door, they're clashing, and it's you can just feel it building when she does like the like spitting, like blowing a raspberry in his face or whatever, and and you know she just you can you can tell they're heading towards this obligatory fight scene where it's just gonna. But what sets it off is when he starts to go after Sam, and he's making fun of Sam's alcoholism. That's when she loses it, and later on when she, when. Sam is saying, he's like, you know, I could, uh, I could fire you. She's like, Sam, you don't even realize that he was making fun of you. And he's like, I do realize that. I can stand up for myself. Like, it's this protective nature that she has of him. And I think she assumes that because they're sort of simpatico on mm-hmm. that level, like the thought of getting rid of her would be something that wouldn't even occur to him. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's – because it could have – like. It could be really easy, like in this game, and part of it is how over the top they played Eddie, and how as soon as he walks in, you're like, "This guy is an asshole." Just yeah. get it, get him out of here. He's as soon as he walks in, you know he's the villain, uh, and I think that helps keep Carla on our side when what she's doing it's like, "Oh, this really this they could have made almost in the like the balancing act that they did in the first episode. It would have been really easy for them to tip the scales and make Diane unlikable." This yeah. episode could have made Carla unlikable. It could have made her irredeemable. But the fact that she's fighting for Sam, even if he doesn't need it, and even if she's clearly wrong, and the fact that Eddie is just an ass, we're still on her side, even though she's clearly wrong, and she shouldn't have done it. No, I, I, that's absolutely right. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, I thought the episode did a really good job, you know, like examining Carla's you know, the three-dimensional person and dealing honestly honestly, and sort of frankly with the fact that she has anger issues, you know, mm-hmm. which is something that could solely have been played for for laughs. And, you know, I, I, I thought this is characteristic of sort of an ambition in the earlier seasons to sort of have fun and, and joke about stuff and joke about characteristics of, of characters, but also to sort of plumb the depths uh, in a more serious way. Um, you know, there were some fantastic episodes of, like, Sam dealing with like being washed up and aging. Um, it, it, I, I just feel like there was sort of an ambition in this one to sort of, you know, to, to explore this side of Carla that I feel like they, I, I'm not going to say they, they kind of let it go and they just played Carla's cynicism and, and, you know, 
uh, stour nature for laughs later on. But do you recall episodes um, later on that like dealt with with this specific issue? I mean, well, I, I don't know how much we they deal with specific like anger issues, but this episode does introduce a therapist. Um, it's yep. not going to be a recurring therapist that we will know. Like, but therapy and psychologists and that whole specialty becomes a predominant recurring like subplot and theme throughout the show is yeah. dealing with people's mental health, which is a fascinating thing to do in a show that is set in a bar. But yeah, mental health is a huge part of the show, including addictions and yeah. not like we'd never get into really abusive relationships. Although, I mean, maybe we'll see like self-destructive abusive relationships. Certainly when we get into like Rebecca and her self-esteem issues later on. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is it is a big deal that we get a therapist introduced in episode three because that will be a big thing. And it's introduced like at first, Diane, Diane mentions it when she she brings it up. She's like, you know, it, and and they we they also give us the stigma as soon as she says maybe we could see Carla could see a therapist friend of mine who specializes in anger. Carla says, "You think I'm wacko, don't you?" She instantly reacts to that, which yeah. in 1982 might have been the pre- predominant kind of feeling about this issue and and they have to cut it off and diane says nobody said you're wacko she's like people everyday people see therapists for different reason and she kind of plays up she's like believe it or not you can laugh i've seen a therapist from time to time and nobody laughs and that's the joke yeah. the, then the audience laughs because everybody's like yeah that makes total sense that diane would have seen a therapist yeah that tracks um, um, but yeah, and, and and we do, and just again, like filling out the some of the roster and the cast. Uh, the therapist that we do see in the second act is Dr. Graham, who is played by Stephen Keep Mills. He's just credited as Stephen Keep, and he did appear in an episode of Mash for Rob for Rob Kelly's show. You know, it, 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 I'm sorry. Now I'm just thinking about that line, that exchange when we meet the therapist. Uh, his his, his exchange, <laughs> his quick exchange with Coach when Coach was like, "Oh, you're a psychologist. You know our jobs are pretty similar, huh?" And the therapist is like, "Yeah, you mean because we both listen to people talking about their problems?" And Coach is like, "Well, yeah, I guess that too." And he just walks away, and it's just like a perfect Coach moment. Yeah, exactly. It's good. Um, well, speaking of Coach, if we could deviate just uh, very briefly, we find out more about Coach. First, we get the second mention of his time with the St. Louis Browns, but we find out something interesting about Coach's baseball career. Oh, his strategy. One of his specialties in that he led the league in hits by pitches. And he made a specialty of getting hit, of getting on base by being hit by the pitcher, and we actually see that play out. He has Diane demonstrate by throwing, and we don't see it. We see Coach go down to the pool room, and he has Diane throw a ball down the hall, and the whole gang gathers around watching. She's like, "I'm not going to go anywhere near him. I can't throw the ball." Oh, that's the idea. So she throws it, and you just hear the sound effect. This plunk. And it's the most sickening thing. It's so funny. I don't know, like, you know, I don't know whether it's just a byproduct of just, like, primitive uh, sound effects from 1982, but it was, like, so awful and so perfect. It's like a champagne cork being popped or something like that. Um, yeah. And just the reaction, because we, we don't see the impact. We just see the looks on the people's faces. And, Diane, this look of sheer horror, and everybody yeah. else is just bawling and laughing and everything going crazy. And Coach is saying, I'm on my way to first. Oh, that's no, that's perfect. It's just yeah, these these little little moments of shading in like these characters because you know I keep forgetting it's it's still only the third episode. Mm-hmm. We're still kind of putting the pieces together. Um, you know, the other thing that occurred to me now since I was speaking about uh, 
speaking of primitive uh, things from 1982, one of the things that kept jumping out at me from the get-go, when, when you review a show like Cheers, when you watch it again, especially now that we have everything available that's streaming to us from uh, from our childhood, that you know things that we held in high esteem, you're always concerned about, and we, we touched about this in our review of the pilot, we're always concerned about you know how shows show their age and whether you know certain facets of a show's age make it you know make a particular episode or entire season like unwatchable or hard to take as seriously. And I think one of the things we agreed on with Cheers was you know the way the show was written, the way the characterizations were, um, the level of acting, the, the plot points. There was very little about the show that you know would excessively show its age. Yeah, we can sort of go back and forth on you know sort of the quasi-sexual harassment that Sam you know uh, engages in with Diane, and that's certainly worthy of, of of a serious discussion. But you know, by and large, in these first few episodes and in this one, you don't feel it as much. You don't feel like you know the the age of the storyline. And then it you know, and then a couple minutes minutes into this episode, it's just like, oh yeah, there was once a time when like the Red Sox were not good. <laughs> you know, there was once a time when, like, Boston was sort of the inferior, you know, younger sibling to the Yankees, right? It was a rivalry, quote-unquote, but it was a rivalry, like, in name only. It was a rivalry only because they were in the same, you know, sort of league and division and played each other a lot. But there was a lot of heartbreak, and it was solely on one side exacted by the other. So it's just, it's one of the, the funny slash neat things is sort of going back and seeing, like, oh, my God, especially because, like, Boston is this, like, this hub, this like sports sporting powerhouse with like, you know, four professional teams that I think have won 11 championships since like the turn of the, the century. Right. Um, and, and, and it's funny going back, they were talking about like Yastrzemski and I'm just like, Oh man, that guy played his entire career from like early sixties to like 1983 and didn't even get within like sniffing distance of a championship. Right. And like that, that, so it was with Boston for like the longest time. Yeah, yeah. Specifically with the Red Sox. I know the Celtics were, were good and the Bruins were good, but like specifically with the Red Sox and the Patriots, it was like it was a sad sack town, man. Right, right, for the longest time. Yeah, and there's actually a moment when when Eddie walks up to when he identifies Sam and he has that there's a great exchange when he's like, I know you, your name is uh uh and Sam's like Sam alone. He's like, Yeah, that's it. He's like, I usually get it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um but like he walks he walks up to me, he says something he's like, You used to be a relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox and that was like one of those weird bits of dialogue that seems like, okay, that is for exposition for somebody watching the show for the first time. Because I was like, you wouldn't be in a Boston bar and refer to them as the Boston Red Sox. No, you in fact, would not. You wouldn't even refer to them as the Red Sox. People of Boston yes. just call them the Sox because yes. they don't really acknowledge the White Sox or any other color. Yes. So, yeah, I just thought it was one of those things. I was like, oh, that line of dialogue is for exposition purposes. That was like the one thing that kind of like pinged that. Eh, it's a little yeah. clunky. It was yeah. a little clunky. Clunky. I'll grant you that. Yeah. Um, a few other uh, there. We get a, a few other guest actors that I just want to mention through the cast. Um, we get two uh, new additions to kind of like the bar flies that we will see a lot in early seasons. We've got our Norm, you know, is our regular, and we've got Cliff, who's going to show up in just about every episode. Then there are two other guys, and one of them uh, is Tom played by actor Thomas Babson. This is his first appearance on the show, and he will have a lengthy career as like a background character, and he will eventually become known as kind of their... He, he becomes a lawyer, and that's like a running subplot. Is he keeps trying to... He keeps failing the bar exam. Well, and Cliff is kind of a jackass to him yeah. about it throughout. I'm just like, you know, it, for me, it was very... It's very funny and telling because like this... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe Paul fits into this category too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... 
he seems like the one character that Cliff like gets to beat up on. Cliff, who essentially gets crap from everyone else except for Coach and Woody for being you know obnoxious and a know-it-all and awful and everything. You know, this is the one guy that I feel like Cliff just wails on for like his legal quote-unquote ineptitude. Yeah, we do see that later on. Is it like they're they're trying to establish the pecking order, and Cliff doesn't want to be at the bottom, so he kind of finds whoever that he can he can yeah. So that 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 does perk up. But Tom is like that. But that legal. It's funny because in this episode, when you have a a case, a tort in this case, and in a legal action. That part isn't part of his history. It's just it's just kind of coincidental that this is our first time seeing this Tom character in the background who will eventually become a lawyer. Um, and then there's another character who in the credits is just referred to as, as customer number three. He will later be called Paul. Uh, this isn't the Paul that people will know from later on seasons. Um, but it's a guy played by actor Paul Vaughn, who I think is just, he's in a handful, maybe a dozen episodes in the first two seasons, I think. Um, just blonde haired guy with a very thick accent. And then there's this brief little thing where we have a, a guy named Fred comes into the bar and he's played by John. I love this guy. <laughs> he's played by John Fiedler, who is the voice of Piglet on like all of the Winnie the Pooh cartoons. And he's appeared on the Bob Newhart show. And I just looking at his IMDb credits, he also he played a character named James Bond on one episode of The Rockford Files. I'm going to have to ask Mike Gillis about that because The Rockford Files is like his favorite show. But yeah, John Fiedler plays this guy named Fred who comes into the bar and announces you know, his sister Louise just died, and everybody's like, "Yeah, they're all." And like, it's, it's just just out of the blue. It just seems like this totally macabre and and you know and 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 really unnecessarily dark thing and so like this time just like with diane on the outside i'm just like what are these people cheering about yeah and she she asks she's like what what is going on and and the fact that he's part of this family and they all hate each other and every time one of the siblings dies this guy gets closer to inheriting all of the money so they're like setting up so he buys around for everybody just knowing that he only has to outlive a few more siblings and there's there's a line like when the the guy the customer number three or paul says remember the night two of them drove off a cliff in the fog talk about a pond (laughs) and and she's like it's so ghoulish don't you think and norm's like yeah we thought so too the first couple of times the first couple times oh that was perfect yeah um so yeah we had a big big guest cast between eddie and dr graham and those three other people um in terms of just other little notes that i had for the characters uh i think cliff only has a line in the teaser um and doesn't really say anything for the rest of the episode so, so just to clarify we might have talked about this in the review of the pilot as well but like Cliff is technically recurring in most, if not all, the episodes of season one, but he's not in the opening credits until season two, correct? Right. But John Ratzenberger can credibly say that he is a part member of the original cast. Yeah, I mean, like, whenever I believe in all of, like, the, well, I don't know if, like, the promo, like, images for, like, the cast for season one, I don't know if those include him on the cover. But, like, I think the season one DVD set, box set, has him included. It's like there's six uh, six characters, uh, even if he isn't in the credits. So, yeah, and I, again, that's something I'm just going to have to watch. He might be in all 22 episodes of the first season. Yeah. Um, it's, for it's, some, it's very for rare. some reason. Even in yeah. season one, it's very rare for Cliff to just appear for a line or two in, like, the cold open, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that, that might be the case, and his, his role certainly will flesh out. Um, that said, given given Carla's well known distaste for him yeah. and his own his own tendencies generally, I don't think he would have done anything other than inflame this situation if he had been a, uh, majorly involved in this particular plot point in this episode. Right, right. Yeah. 
Um, we find out a few other little uh, bits of character background information. Sam has been sober for three years. Which seemed – that seemed short for me. I would I thought he'd been sober longer, and I'd be interested to know once we – because I think the Endless Slumper episode is this season, right, where we yes. actually delve a little bit deeper into his alcoholism. Yep. I'd be interested to see whether from a continuity standpoint that lines up because I could have sworn it was like five or six years, but I, you know, I'm not too sure. I think they say he, he's had the bar – he bought the bar five years ago. Okay. So I think he had Cheers for two years when he was still drinking. And then, okay. yeah, so then, it's, or, or his career in baseball might have ended five years ago or something like that. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. So, yeah, we, at least in terms of this, and maybe there might be a continuity thing that, that we might find out that it doesn't match up. But according to this episode, he's been sober for three years. Um, Diane, uh, she's had at least five majors in college. Uh, uh, so, so let's go. So it's pre law, English, psychology, what else? Art, and she mentions very briefly as they're leaving the bar, she's walking out, she says, Indian studies. So, ah, perfect. So, yes. of course. Um, but yeah, the, the ones that uh, get mentioned the most are, would be the English literature and art, and then in this one, psychology. Um, trying to think, did you, I mean, did you have any other notes before? Well, you know, I mean, so, so there were a couple minor points uh, before I would, I would summarize the overall episode, mm-hmm. but one of them is... You know, one of the things that struck me was um, when Diane was ad- very admirably trying to uh, stick up for Carla and Sam and the bar, she, she <laughs> confronted Eddie early on, right? Like, yeah. and, and, and it was kind of touching because you have to remember this is still a relatively new character, and it is so painfully obvious that, you know, she's in over her head and is like, you know, she, she cares not a whit about sports and she's, you know, she considers these people very obviously her intellectual inferior. I thought it was a nice poignant moment that she tried to stick up for them. Uh, and I thought it was – and she brought up a really interesting point when she – at least to me, she was she made this point about how the number of Nobel laureates in Boston like greatly outpaced whatever New York City had going on. And I'm just like, I guess that's true, but that's nuts because Boston is like a town of like – a city of like 600,000 and there are like 10 million people in New York. That's really sad. <laughs> And like all all the colleges, and, but I do love the way that plays out. That was actually that that whole exchange was almost my uh, my home run for the episode when when uh, Big Eddie is talking about the number of like sports championships and World Series and everything that New York has had over Boston, and Diane tries to come to their defense. She's like, "You want to talk about no like poet laureates, U.S. poet laureates? You want to talk about the no- number of Nobel Prize winners and everything?" And the whole bar collectively just goes no and shuts her down. <laughs> They're like, yeah, like, it's fun, even funner because she's trying to help them. It's so great yeah and they're like no we did not that is, that is not what this is about yeah so it's, i mean what i would say just in terms of summarizing the whole thing and, and you know you and i talked about this a little bit earlier before we we, we got mic'd up is that listen I, I don't think this is you know one of the more memorable or compelling or great episodes i think it is a a well-constructed episode um i think it is suitably entertaining um but to be honest you know, since I bought the DVD years and years ago of season one, this is not one of the episodes that I am eager to go back and review again and again and again. Not because it, it showcases, you know, a character or actor that I, I'm less fond of because I love Rhea Perlman and I love Carla. I still think they're figuring it out, figuring her out, like I said. But it's it's there's something about it. There's something about it that keeps it a little bit earthbound. Um, I do think they play around with some interesting ideas, yeah. like trying to delve into Carla's psychology a little bit, trying to sort of plumb the depths of, of the fact that she does have these 
you know, she, she, she is prone to sort of go off the deep end sometimes with her anger. Um, I do like that, you know, I do like that moment when Sam was like, I can take care of myself, you know, showed him as restrained and mature when all too often we're confronted with Sam sort of as the grown up Peter Pan and someone who's very impetuous uh, and impulsive. Um, so I like that he's restrained and I like that it kind of, it kind of shades in what it must be like as a recovering alcoholic. The fact that you do have to kind of take things step by step and, you know, someone who's, who's a former big time athlete, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can't get driven, driven crazy by like every, every two bit fan that comes in and wants to get in your grill. There are, there's a lot about the episode that's, that's solid and above average, but I would be lying if I said it was a memorable one. I would be lying if I said it was an episode that I, I thought a lot of, um, particularly in the context of season one, which I think is just tremendous. Um, there are, you know, there are just a whole bunch of home runs in this inaugural season. I'm not going to say this felt flat, but I just don't think it's particularly memorable or compelling. And I agree with that. And, um, yeah, it, it's, I'm reluctant to say this because it's going to feel like I'm I'm really coming down more harsh, but I do think this is one of the weaker, if not possibly like the weakest episode in the entire series. And I'm honored that you picked me to guess. <laughs> Again, you're my friend, and I love you. But it's but the but the thing is, by saying that, it seems like I, like that just feels too harsh because this isn't a bad episode. It's really it's it's solid. It's got some great it's got some great funny lines, but it's just you know it, I think it's it speaks more to the level of quality that I hold ninety eight percent of the episodes of this series yes. from. I mean, this is not this again. It's like what I you go back and explore what I was saying about um, our noticing that Carlo's a little bit off these mm-hmm. first couple episodes. It's not a statement per se on like the weakness of the character or the weakness of the episode. It's a statement on how amazing cheers is that the weakest of the cheers episodes are still better than like 90 percent of everything else out there yeah yeah exactly and yeah it's not that it's not funny it's it feels more just like it's a little bit off tonally because of because carla because it's so focused on carla and she's not at our comfort level yet like not yet. tonally so i, I like world weary carla yeah i like <laughs> beaten down Carla. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, on top of everything else, it does seem like Car- this Carla has a little bit of hope yeah. um, and a little bit of an expectation about what she could get out of life, which is why she might be driven to, you know, sort of driven to rage um, at, at, at perceived injustices or slights. But I like the sardonic Carla. I like the Carla that just, like, gets in wisecracks and, like, you know, <laughs> sort of glances and, I don't know, there's just something very endearing about that. Yeah, yeah. All right, then. Uh, before we go, who is our employee of the month? Who did you think was the best, uh, either the funniest character or just like the best performance from this episode? Oh, I would say Sam. I mean, Sam should be the employee of the month for not firing her. <laughs> um, and I, again, I would go back to he really tried to thread the needle in this episode and be a stand up guy in, in characteristic Sam fashion by you know, being very candid with Carla about the fact that, like, she had these issues which, you know, put, which could jeopardize her future with him. But also, I never really thought he was going to fire her. Mm-hmm. Um, if only, I would only think he would be fired her if he was, she was pushed to the absolute extreme. Yeah. I think he used the appropriate amounts of carrots and sticks to keep her in line. I think he was classic Sam that we all love. He was a diplomat. He was someone that was trying to please all sides. Um, you know, when when... Eddie first came in the bar and he started getting hot and Carla started getting hot under the collar and Sam was trying to plead with everyone to just sort of relax and have a good time. That's Sam we know and love. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's, to me, Sam was, you know, was the mention this one. 
Yeah, he was a good he was a good a good display of his leadership skills and like how he he does kind of control the room. Um, I definitely think it showed up in this one. That was really good. Um, I, I like him. I also I go back to like the sort of default of Diane and Coach were both outstanding with Coach and all of the jokes about the napkins that he overordered yeah. with a stupid buck joke on on there, and then Diane just her reactions and her facial expressions. Um, like when she she starts schooling Sam about like the the legal precedent and everything, and he starts repeating what she said verbatim, and like you just see her behind his back just snickering and like laughing that she's she's gotten to him, and then her interactions with Doctor Graham when he's like, "How are oh, you? Yeah. Like, in in what sense? How do you mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, and that could lead us to what do you think was the home run of this episode? What was the funniest joke or gag? Yeah, um, I would say that uh, when. Carla was actually wrapping her mind around the fact that the possibility that Sam might actually fire her when she was, you could see the desperation in her eyes and she was like, you can't fire me. I can't lose this gig. Think of my kids. If I didn't have this job, I'd have to stay home with them. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to, for me, I think the my funniest laugh was actually a character. I don't think we've really mentioned at all this one. It's actually, it comes from Norm and it's the moment she has just grabbed Eddie. She's on his back, slamming Eddie's head into the bar. It takes like Sam and Cliff and a few other people to separate them. And Carla's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. She's playing it off and everything. The bar is just erupted into chaos. Everybody's screaming, trying to figure out what's going on. And you cut to, oh, I remember this. You cut yeah, to Norm at the end of the bar. He hasn't gotten off his stool. He just kind of like, <laughs> Taps his like half empty bar, but like mug on the bar is like, hey Sammy, when you get a moment, you want to put a head on this? Oh, that's perfect. I mean, my God, I mean, the, the, what makes that moment so perfectly executed was it, it, they didn't linger on it, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I laughed the hardest I did at anything in that part of the episode, but it happened so quickly that I just forgot about it, and yeah. that's therein lies its genius. Uh, so yeah, I would I would almost amend my answer to, or at least have that moment as a one A. I mean, George went. Uh, does uh, he does the most sometimes with the least yeah. in terms of amount of yeah. screen time in a particular point? It's just his asides are absolutely perfect. That was a great moment. Well selected. Yeah, good. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Omar, once again for joining me. You, you, yeah, maybe you can invite me back when you know I don't know, like nine seasons from now when there's an <laughs> SNL scandal with uh, Robin Colcord and you need some legal perspective because that's all I'm good for apparently. No, you'll be back before then. You have to maintain your streak of of uh, most appearances on the show, so we'll have to fix it. But yeah, thank you very much. And Omar, if listeners, if you want to hear, if you want to hear more of Omar, not necessarily talking about his own legal credentials, uh, he has appeared on an episode of Film and Water with Rob Kelly talking about the movie Nixon. Uh, you've been on some episodes of my Star Wars podcast. You were on I've been on Rob Kelly's Todd Dillon. I'm a jack of all trades, friends. There you go, there you go. And you will definitely be back on this show at some point. I'll give you a good effort. You know what? Um, in Season 5, when Sam and Diane d- go to court over <laughs> over uh, oh, the marriage proposal. Oh, yeah, when he tries to run her off the road or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm there. All right, well, Omar, thank you very much. And listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, you can support us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Until next episode, we're closed. Listen, I uh, I asked you over here to talk about Carl tonight. You see, she's still working here. I thought my attorney made my position absolutely.
absolutely clear on that. Well, yes, yes, he did, he did. Oh, hey, table four, he's <laughs> down. Uh, see, Carla is seeing a therapist. Uh, she's trying to work things out. She's trying to become the kind of waitress that you'd enjoy being waited on by. You just ended that sentence with two prepositions. Don't you have customers to deal with? That ended with a preposition, too. Don't you have customers to deal with, mullet head? 